with me this morning to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading from verse 24 and read through verse 28. Matthew 10, verses 24 through 28. I want to take just a moment as you're turning to welcome those who have joined us via Facebook Live. Thank you so much for joining with us today. We pray the Lord's blessing upon you wherever you may be. We hope you'll be encouraged by this time with us. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. Hear the word of the Lord. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciples to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you now, we're so thankful for your word, thankful for your revelation to us. And as we gather in your name, we're thankful for the promise of the Holy Spirit who has been sent to help us, to lead us and guide us into the truth. And we pray for that help today. We pray that the Spirit would come now and be our teacher. And Father, as we pray together, we're Thankful to be able to lift up those who are in great need, and our needs are many. We are weak and frail, and so we come before you, our loving Heavenly Father, and ask for your help and your blessing upon those who are, are sick and weak and hurting. We do pray for our dear sister Carlene today, and we ask, Father, for your blessing upon her. We pray that you would strengthen her body. We pray for your healing mercy, and Lord, we pray that you would strengthen her heart and soul. We pray today, Father, for my cousin Brad, who is in desperate need of your help, your grace and mercy. Father, I pray that you would please touch his body that is racked with cancer, and the doctors have no, no answers, and there's no hope apart from you. Father, more importantly, I pray that you would please strengthen his soul now and that you would make the good news of the gospel real to him. We pray today, Father, for Shirley Taylor, who is uh, hurting and in need of your help. Lord, please uh, help this dear lady. We pray for Ed and Suzanne Lindsay and ask, Lord, for your, for your grace to be shown to them. And Lord, please be merciful and and meet their, their physical needs. We pray today for uh, Sam and Vicki Schneider. We ask, Father, for your blessing upon them. Lord, may they know your healing touch. Lord, please strengthen their hearts today. And Father, we 
are thankful to be able to join together and pray for our dear brothers down in Brazil. We are, are uh, overjoyed to be able to support uh, two Brazilian pastors with good books and, and literature. And we pray, Lord, that you would use these resources for the furtherance of your kingdom. We pray that you would encourage these brothers and strengthen their hands for the work that you've called them to. Lord, it is a, a great joy for us to pray for our brothers and sisters all across the world, many of whom are, are suffering greatly under persecution for their faith. And how we ask, Father, that you might be gracious to strengthen their hands. We are thankful, Father, that through the preaching of the gospel all over the world, your kingdom continues to grow. And we trust in the promises of our Lord Jesus, who said that he would build his church. And so now we join together and pray as our Lord Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning we're going to do something that I will tell you on the front end is uh, a little different. Something, honestly, that I wish I did not have to do. In fact, if there were any way out of doing this today, if there was any way that I could walk out the door and not do this, I would. The subject before us this morning, as you've probably noticed by now in your bulletin, is hell. And I wish we could ignore it. I wish we could avoid it. I don't want to believe in hell. I don't want to believe that such a place exists, and I don't want to believe that anyone goes there. But I felt compelled for some time to address this subject. In my eight years here at Trinity, I have probably touched on it a time or two, depending on where we were, whatever passage. I'm sure I haven't completely avoided it, but I have been burdened somewhat about whether or not I've dealt with it adequately because this is something that many, many churches are not preaching today. And I do not feel that I would be fulfilling my role as pastor if I did not do such i don't think i would be uh, being forthright and honest with the lord and with his word and with his church and even with the lost as disturbing as the topic may be for us it's here in god's word and we cannot avoid it we don't have to continually talk about it now there are those churches that that do Maybe some of you have been in those churches. It's, it's this every week. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want us to send the message that such a place doesn't exist or that we should take it lightly. I know sometimes we have a tendency to avoid talking about uncomfortable things, thinking that, well, if we don't talk about it, maybe it'll go away. 
This is not going to go away. It's not. For any of you who hear my voice, those of you who are here in this room, those of you listening over the internet, anyone who may hear this somewhere in the future, our conclusion, according to God's word, is that hell is real. But there is hope. There is hope. The Lord God in his mercy has sent his one and only Son, and those who look to him in repentance and faith will never know the horrifying eternal pain of hell. And so what we're going to do this morning is I want to take a few minutes to, to talk about this and see what God's Word has to say about hell, but I'm going to conclude with a word of hope, the hope that we have in the gospel. I want to first make the case for the reality of hell the reality of hell why do we why do we need to talk about this i mean i've already confessed to you that i don't want to and i would be willing to bet that you don't want to hear it <laughs> but unfortunately we are seeing a trend in which more and more people are denying the existence of hell uh, for instance here's a recent tweet from Richard Dawkins now if you don't know who Richard Dawkins is he's a world-renowned biologist uh, a professor at Oxford University uh, looked up to as one of the most brilliant men in the world and recently he tweeted this imagine what it must be like to really believe there's a place called hell Red hot and real, a post-mortem torture chamber of unspeakable horror. Well, you will certainly, without any doubt, spend all eternity if you don't accept Jesus. Now, we would all probably say, well, that's Richard Dawkins. He's an atheist. Of course we would expect that from an atheist, right? Unfortunately, there are too many people who claim the name of Jesus who listen to atheists. Sure, let's deny the existence of God as atheists do. And then what happens? Well, if you deny the existence of God, you deny the judgment and therefore eternal ward or eternal damnation. And as I said, the problem is not that Richard Dawkins does this. The problem is that there are many in Christian evangelical, I'll use the air quotes, circles who are doing this. It's really a, a silly game, isn't it? Elizabeth Eaton, you may not know that name, but she is the presiding bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. She has expressed her belief, according to one outlet, that although hell may exist, it is entirely empty because, quote, God doesn't give up on those who reject him, end quote. Asked about parts of the Bible that speak of hell, she said, Lutherans aren't literalists. I wonder what the first Lutheran, Martin Luther, would say to that. <laughs> 
Some of you may remember uh, the name Rob Bell in 2006. Rob Bell was pastoring Mars Hill Bible Church in Granville, Michigan, one of the fastest growing churches in America. He had been educated at Wheaton College. Wheaton is a very conservative school, uh, typically aligned with uh, the Calvinist uh, faith. Bell wrote and released a book in 2011. His views had shifted uh, quite a bit, but the, the name of this book was Love Wins. And in the book, Bell basically denied hell, at least as eternal conscious torment as Orthodox Christians have always believed. Uh, hell, he says, rather, is what we create for ourselves when we reject God's love. God does not pour out wrath. We bring temporary suffering upon ourselves. And he certainly does not punish for eternity. In the end, love wins. I've got to tell you, I like that. I wish that were true. I mean, that sounds a whole lot better than what the Bible has to say about hell, doesn't it? At least to, to our ears. That was 10 years ago. I could give you more recent ones. And really what I want to do is just point out that there has been a drift over the last 20, 30 years where preachers are preaching less and less on hell. People are writing fewer and fewer books that include anything about hell and eternal damnation. And these are happening in more and more mainline denominations. And as I said, evangelical circles, I'm not talking about the extreme liberalism. You know, we expect that from them. I'm talking about a lot of your run-of-the-mill Baptist churches. I'd love to tell you that there is no hell, that hell is only the place uh, if it does exist for the devil and demons. I'd love to tell you that no one goes to hell, but if I did, I would have to deny Scripture. I'd have to deny Jesus, the one in Scripture who talks about hell more than anyone else. I'd have to deny a holy and just God. I'd have to deny the gospel. Really, if you deny hell, I don't know that you can be a Christian. I don't know that you can be a true follower of Jesus. People can deny hell. More and more people are. We're seeing that. But you know what you can't deny? You can't deny death, can you? And I want to show you here over the next couple of minutes that there is a, a connection, a relation between death and hell. Uh, I want to give you three words that we're going to kind of chain together and link together. And death is the first word. No one can deny death, can they? I at least not seriously. You can't take anyone serious who would say that. Oh, I don't believe in death. Well, guess what? No one goes to hell apart from death. If there's anything good we can say <laughs> about hell, that's it. No one living is just transported to hell. It's something that only happens when someone dies. And guess who dies? Everybody. Right? 
It's appointed for men once to die. Hebrews 9, 27. Uh, Ezekiel 18, 20. The soul who sins shall die. We, we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and God gave Adam this command, right? And the day that you eat of it, that, that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so a couple of chapters later, we get to the genealogy of Adam and his descendants in Genesis 5. And what do we read? Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Now that's great. 930 years. But it continues, and he died. And then we read about Adam's son Seth and Enosh and Kenan, and on and on, that whole genealogy, and what you see at the end of every name is, and he died, and he died, and he died. There's one exception, Enoch. I'll explain that to you after service for $100. I'm only kidding. We're talking about hell. I wanted to add a little bit of levity. Maybe I shouldn't have. <laughs> Someone was going to come back and say, well, what about Enoch? Someone can deny hell, but they cannot deny death. There is a relation, and we'll see that if we haven't already. What happens when someone dies? Well, some people believe that, that, that the soul is just annihilated. The body uh, deteriorates, and the soul is an annihilated, and then that's it. You just stop existing, but that's not what the Bible says. We're going to take that word death and we're going to connect another word to it. And the second word is the word judgment. We'll go back to Hebrews 9.27. It's a verse everybody knows. It's appointed for man to die once and after that the judgment. Psalm 1 verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. There's something coming called the judgment. Psalm 143, verse 2, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. In Isaiah 66, verse 16, Isaiah 66 is the last chapter in that book that talks about the future redemption of God's people and the coming judgment. And verse 16 says, For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by His sword with all flesh. Well, those are all Old Testament verses. We don't have to believe that Old Testament stuff, do we? Well, here is Jesus speaking in Matthew 12, 36. And as I said, he spoke on hell more than anyone else given to us in Scripture. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And I can go on and on and on, but I want you to understand that the Bible makes it very clear that there is a coming day of judgment. And it's not just for a few, nobody else, maybe there's just a few really bad people, Hitler and people like that. It's for everyone. Judgment day is coming, and so we have death, and we have judgment, and even with this idea of judgment, some might say, well, that's okay, that's fine. What the Bible tells us about God is that He's all loving and merciful and kind. 
and he would never judge someone and send them to hell, would he? Well, let's connect one final word in our, our three-linked chain here. We have death and judgment, and the last word is punishment. Punishment. I want to read Romans 2, verses 6 through 8 for you, which says, He, the Lord, the judge, will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Now, who, who is that? Those are the regenerate that have turned to Christ in repentance and faith and as a result have produced fruit, have produced good works. They have not been saved by those good works. We're saved by faith. A faith that shows itself to be real in producing food, fruit in those who turn to Christ in repentance and faith. But Paul continues in verse 8, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Isaiah 13, 11 says, I will punish the world, this is God speaking, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Death, judgment, and punishment. The scripture makes it clear, unmistakable, unambiguous, that death comes to all, and after that, the judgment. And those who have rejected Jesus and the good news and the promise of eternal life will receive eternal punishment. We cannot deny the reality of hell unless we deny a great portion of Scripture, and I'm not willing to do that, are you? The reality of hell. Second, I want to focus now on uh, some of the terminology that we find from the Bible. Uh, there may be a little bit of confusion about this because some of these terms we don't see anywhere outside the Bible. We, we may see them in, in uh, weird movies and mythology. But let's talk about what the Bible has to say about a couple of terms. And the first word that I want us to consider is the word sheol. Sheol. Now, if you've got a modern translation, you've seen this word. Uh, I don't know that it's in the King James, but often in the King James, uh, the reason that I want to point this out is it is translated hell. And when it does this, uh, it's not referring to the place of eternal punishment, but rather to the abode of the dead. For instance, in Psalm 18, verse 5, the King James Version says, The sorrows of hell compassed me about, the snares of death prevented me. Now that's the King James, while the ESV says, The cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. Now you can see there in that verse, in that uh, 18th Psalm, that there's what we call parallelism. You, you say something, and then you say something very similar, very related, but maybe in a different way. It's a, it's a parallel line. And when we consider uh, the other places in the King James Version where Sheol is, is translated hell, 
what we find is that it's talking about death or the abode of the dead or the state of being dead. Now, it doesn't always translate it as hell. Sometimes this Hebrew word sheol is translated as the grave or the pit. And so what we see here is this word is actually a Hebrew word. If you have a, a modern translation like the ESV, it actually just gives you a transliteration. Sheol is an actual Hebrew word. So those of you that remember our Ruth study, you learn kesed, remember? And so now you know Sheol. You know two Hebrew words. You're on your way to learning Hebrew. The next word that I want us to, to think about this morning is the word Hades. How many of you have heard that word before? Hades is a, a Greek word that's used in about 10 passages in the New Testament, and I'll share a couple to see if we can uh, understand its meaning. In Acts 2.27, Peter is preaching, if you recall, there on the day of Pentecost, and, and he quotes from the Old Testament, a particular verse that says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, this is a quote from Psalm 16. And if you look back at that psalm in the ESV, it has the word Sheol. And so Acts here uses the Greek word Hades. And so what we notice here is that the word Hades is a Greek word that corresponds to the Hebrew word Sheol. And what it means is the status of being dead. It, it indicates death. However, there are some passages where this word is used in the New Testament where it is used to indicate eternal torment. And there's a passage that I, I'm sure you're probably somewhat familiar with. You remember the story in Luke 16 where Jesus is telling uh, what really amounts to a parable, although he, he doesn't call it that, but he speaks of this rich man who's unnamed, and there's a poor man named Lazarus, and this poor man basically comes under this rich man's tables to, to grab scraps of food just to survive. And eventually they both die. And the man named Lazarus is carried away to Abraham's bosom, to the side of Abraham, while the rich man, well, I'll let Jesus tell us in Luke 16, 22, the rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And you probably remember that story where this man is, is calling out to Abraham. He's in torment. What is he asking for? One drop of water on his tongue to cool his tongue. It's as if he's in flames. His, his tongue is burning and he longs for any kind of relief that he could have. This man here in Hades is in his eternal state. So Hades in the New Testament might indicate death the state of being dead, but it may also indicate the punishment that comes after death to those who have rejected God. And then finally, we have the word Gehenna. How many of you have heard of that word, Gehenna? Gehenna is the Greek word that's used here in our text in Matthew 10, verse 28, where Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, 
but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That is uh, the Greek word Gehenna. Now, where does this come from? Well, it corresponds to uh, uh, the Hebrew term, the Valley of Tophet or the Valley of Hinnon. Uh, this was actually a literal valley outside of Jerusalem, a, a ravine. And in the Old Testament, we find that it was a place for some of the most abominable practices of idol worship, including the burning and offering up as sacrifices people's children. We read of a couple of kings who did this, Ahaz and uh, Manasseh, and there are others. They went down to this valley and raised up altars to the god Molech, the Canaanite god that God had forbidden them to worship, and to appease this God, they would go so far as to offer their own children and sacrifice their children to this God. So it was a reprehensible place. Many other kings did there. Many other reprehensible events took place in this valley of Hinnon. Later in the... Uh, Time after the kings and after the times of the prophets, uh, uh, this was uh, a place in the intertestamental period where uh, they would take apostate Jews to punish them. And so you can see how the, the idea of this place of the Valley of, of Hinnon, uh, it developed a reputation of the place you did not want to go. It was a literal place, but it was also a symbolic place. And it had gained this reputation for being such a wretched disgusting place that in Jesus' day its Greek name Gehenna became equated with the place of eternal torment and so when Jesus says for instance in Matthew 5 29 if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. The word there is Gehenna. And Jesus is not talking about taking somebody out uh, to a literal place. He's talking about the place of eternal torment. And he's saying it would be better for you in your fight against sin to cut off one of your members. And of course, he's exaggerating there. Saying that your fight against sin better be real. It better be to the point that you would lose a member of your body rather than be thrown into Gehenna, eternal hell and torment. There's a little more description in the Mark passage that talks about this. Mark 9, 47. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And listen. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now that last part of that verse is a quote from that chapter in Isaiah that we talked about, Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, 24 is a passage that speaks of the final judgment. And so the question that often comes up with regard to hell is, well, well are we talking about literal fire? Well, I, I don't know if that would be the case. Uh, so often our ideas of hell are, 
are formed by things like Dante's Inferno or, or other literary works, or maybe even uh, you look at uh, comics like The Far Side. You see flames going up. Well, I would offer to you that as terrifying as fire is to us, the eternal fire of hell is worse. When we die, our bodies go into the grave, and those of us who have trusted and believed in the Lord Jesus will receive new bodies, resurrected bodies. But in our eternal state, uh, what the focus on is, is this new reality that will come with the coming of the Lord Jesus. We'll receive a body that won't decay. What about people in hell? Do they have real bodies? I don't know that they do, but I do know that they have souls. And whatever is happening to their souls for all eternity is worse than literal burns from fire. People who die and go to hell undergo an eternal torment in their souls that's worse than anything physical because it never ends. There are a few passages that give depictions of hell without mentioning the word hell. It's described as a place of darkness, no light. Matthew 22, 1 through 14 is the parable of the wedding feast. Perhaps you remember there, uh, there are some who come to this feast a after being compelled and they're ready. But Jesus looks at some who have not prepared themselves for the feast. And when he arrives, he examines them and sees that they're not wearing their wedding garments. And then the king said to the attendants, to the, that man who was not prepared, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. The outer darkness in that place. And again, here's that phrase from Isaiah. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So hell is described as torment, anguish, a place of unquenchable fire, a place of darkness, and it never ends. It's eternal. Revelation 14, 10, and 11 says this about those who worship the beast and take his mark. He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. We could go on and on, but <laughs> frankly, I, I'm, I'm good. I, I'd like to stop. Hell is real. It's the eternal state of those who reject God and His grace. It is eternal Torment and Jesus, more than anyone else in the Bible, spoke of hell. So, we really can't deny it, can we? Well, while that's all I want to say about hell, I don't want to end on that note. That would not be good. <laughs> I don't think any sermon on hell would be complete without 
offering the hope of the gospel that is mentioned in Scripture. And I want to share that with you. And I want to just say a couple of things. First, I think those of us in the Reformed tradition get a bad rap. And some of you will know what I'm talking about, right? People say something like, yeah, I could never be Reformed. They believe that God consigns people to hell and that no matter what, no matter what they choose, no matter what they want to do, some people end up in hell even if they don't want to be there. That's a bit of a mischaracterization, isn't it? It's not really what we believe. It's not really the way it's presented in Scripture. You've probably heard something like that. What we need to understand is that every human being who's ever lived has sinned, and every human being deserves the wrath of God. We all deserve God's eternal wrath. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it is only due to his electing grace and his unrelentless pursuit of those whom he has chosen that any of us can know that grace and escape hell. And I want to make it very clear to you, there will be no one in hell who cried out to God for mercy, who repented of their sins and looked to Jesus in the hope of the gospel on the cross where he was crucified, who will be there. Hell will be for those who reject God. I want to encourage you to go back and read the second half of Romans chapter 1. But I want to give you just a couple of verses to make this plain. This is Romans 1, 18 and 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. This passage explains that the human beings who end up in hell knew the truth and rejected it. And they have no excuse. Richard Dawkins can claim to be an atheist and deny the existence of God, but he is suppressing the truth. He knows better. He's a man made in God's image. He, he has a certain amount of dignity because of that, even in his lost state. He's simply suppressing the truth. And this is his choice to do so. He rejects the truth of God and so brings the wrath of God upon himself, as all do who reject God and the gospel. In Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, you remember that Paul is in Athens. He is preaching there. And he says this, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. This is God's command. Repent and turn to Christ. 
and trust him. Don't trust in yourself. And guess what? He'll receive you if you do. Us Reformed folk are probably famous for quoting John 6, 37. We all know this verse, don't we? All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And that's great. That's true. We believe that. But there's another half of that verse. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. No one will be in hell who came to Jesus and Jesus said no. No one will ever be saved. I wanted to be saved. I trusted in Jesus. I heard the gospel. I believed it. But Jesus rejected me. The, no. <laughs> and the fact that the Lord of heaven and earth would receive any of us. Any of us. Should cause us all to fall on our knees. And lift up our hands and worship. And I want to. Just give you three quick points to take away. And the first one is worship. Those of us who have come to Christ should be mindful of God's just wrath that we have been allowed to escape only because of his mercy. Because he has sent the perfect sacrifice, our Lord Jesus, into this world to pay the price and take God's wrath upon himself for sinners that look to him. And so our Sunday morning worship time, your morning Bible reading times should be wonderful times of worship and praise for this. I hope it is. The second, we must be faithful in our prayers for the lost and in our sharing of the hope of the gospel. Spurgeon said this, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies, and if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Brothers and sisters, I want to call on you. You have opportunities. You have friends, family members, co-workers who are lost. And you need to be winsome, and you need to, to strive to maintain a, a, a good relationship where you can converse with them. We don't want to thump people over the head with the Bible so hard that they won't talk to us. But pray for God's grace and pray for an opportunity to, to share and talk about spiritual things. And pray. Pray God uses the prayers of His saints for the saving of the lost. And finally, I want to say to those of you who have not come to Christ in repentance and faith. If you're here, you're alive, you're breathing, there's hope for you. Look to Christ. Look to the one who has come into this world and taken on the sins of his people and the punishment that we deserved. He, he bore that for us. There's hope. He's gone away to prepare a place for us. And he'll soon come and take us there and receive us. And if you will believe the good news of the gospel, he'll receive you. Amen. Let's pray together. 
Father in heaven, we're thankful for the hope of the gospel. And Father, we come today very humble, recognizing just how amazing your grace is. What a gracious, loving, merciful God you are to save sinners such as us. And we come only on the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that his, his death is sufficient and, and the wrath that he bore is a sufficient payment to keep us out of eternal torment forever. We plead with you, Father, on behalf of those who we know and love, who do not know you, and we ask, Father, that you would please open their hearts. Please do a great work. Lord, please use this church to bring about a great gospel work here and wherever you may take us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with me now. In response to the preaching of the gospel, 